I think it's safe to say we need courageous leaders in our world today. I think it's safe to say as we emerge out of this pandemic, we need courageous leaders who are going to chart a path forward in every different realm of society. I think it's safe to say that we need courageous leaders who are going to look across our society, look at all the social problems that we have, and are willing to break through the gridlock of Washington and politics and solve problems for people like you and me. I think it's safe to say that in the church of Jesus Christ, we need leaders who are not afraid to stand on the timeless truths of the Bible, but who are willing to adapt tradition to meet the needs of people in our world today. I think it's fair to say we need courageous leaders. Where the heck are they? If we need them so bad, where, where are they? And it's so easy for you and me to get together with our family and friends and look at everyone around us and say, that mayor, that superintendent, that teacher, that CEO, that senator, that politician, that person, if they would stop being so afraid, if they wouldn't capitulate, if they wouldn't just go with the flow, if they would just have courage, these problems would go away. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and asked yourself, Am I courageous? Because we spend a ton of time pointing at other people. We spend a time looking at others and going, if they did this or that or this or that, then we wouldn't be in the situation we're in, in the church, in our society, in our government, in our communities, in our schools. So easy to criticize everyone else. But what about you and me? Are we courageous? with the things that have been entrusted to us? Do we give in? Do we go with the flow? Do we step into problems? Do we solve issues? And I know you're going, hey, I'm not a leader. I don't really have anything to influence, really. If you're like me, you're tempted to just go with the flow. You don't want to ruffle feathers. You give in to feelings. You follow culture. You don't resist. You don't think you can make a difference. How could you, little old me, change anything? But what would it look like for us to be courageous? To actually see that we can change things. And instead of looking at everybody else, we look at ourselves. It's why we're doing this series called Mirror, Mirror, because it's so easy to point fingers at everyone else and never stop and look at our own selves. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, we have the ability to change the world. We have the greatest message of hope. We have the truth of God's word. We have the ability with humility to change things. But so many times here in the church among Christ followers, again, we're leading the way, pointing our fingers at everyone else. When is the time for you and me to look in the mirror? So if you ask yourself the question, am I courageous? I think some of us would go, yeah, I think I'm courageous. And others of us would go, I'm not courageous. But how do you objectively know if you are or you're not courageous? Remember the Disney film, Snow White? 
Snow White's this beautiful princess and her stepmom's this evil queen and the evil queen goes to the mirror all the time and says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror says, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, you evil queen are the most beautiful until one day she goes, ah, not anymore. You're not. Snow White is the most beautiful, the fairest princess in all the land. Why? Because mirrors never lie. Mirrors always tell the truth. So if we would ask, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most courageous of them all? This is where the Bible comes in. The Bible gives us a glimpse into what is and what isn't courage. And when we look at the Bible and we ask, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most courageous of them all? The Bible will give us many examples, some of courage and some of not of courage, And today what we're going to do is look at one courageous woman and see how God used her to change her community and society and learn something. So if you have your Bibles, open it up, turn it on. We're in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4. That's in the front of your Bible. It's actually the seventh book in the Bible. So go to the beginning, Judges chapter 4. Love for you to follow along with me, looking at ourselves in the mirror of courage. And would you pray with me as we start? God, I confess to you that I'm spineless, that I give into fears, I give into feelings in my home, in my community, and in this church. None of us want to stand out, none of us want to be different, none of us want to grow against the culture. We all see problems. And we all point fingers at others instead of looking at ourselves first and foremost. So God, would you right now soften our hearts and open our eyes? Would you use the scripture as a mirror to show us what we look like, to show us truth, and to change us into sons and daughters that look like you who are courageous in whatever we face and whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. We count on you to do what only you can do. Change me and change my friends watching and listening. I pray through Christ our Lord, amen. Judges, the title of this book, when we hear the word judges, we think of someone in a black robe, listening to the plaintiff, listening to the defendant, making a decision of guilty or not guilty, but that's actually not what the word means. This is not a book of Judge Judy's. The word judges could be translated as governors. It's about people, governors, judges who rise up in a country that's facing incredible turmoil. God raises up these leaders in the midst of turmoil to bring about change. So the story of God's nation, the people of Israel, is that they're enslaved for 400 years. They cry out to God. God delivers them from slavery and gives them their own nation. And God says, I've protected you, and now I want you to follow me. And instead of following God, the nation of Israel gives into their feelings. They follow other gods. They get themselves stuck in evil practices of all their neighboring countries And they find themselves in difficult, destructive situations. So they call out to God again, and God delivers them by giving them leaders who are going to lead them out of that kind of chaos into peace and prosperity. But they do what we all do. 
As soon as God delivers them, they forget the goodness of God, they disobey God, they give in to feelings, and they follow the culture around them, and they find themselves in problems again. They call out to God, God delivers them, sends them a leader, the leader rescues them, they fall away, they forget, they disown God, and it's this cycle over and over, and the book of Judges gives us a description and shows us what this looks like. And the best description of the problem in the book of Judges, the best hypothesis, is found in Judges 17. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. They had no king. They had a lot of problems. And everyone did as they saw fit. They did whatever they felt like. Does that sound familiar to you and me today? I mean, in our society today, are there any absolute truths? Is there any moral compass Are there any absolute governing truths that dictate our society and our civic interaction, our cultural norms? The answer is no. Who will be courageous in such a mess? Who will unite us together? This is the context of today, and it's also the context of the book of Judges. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. And this is the context in which this one judge, this one governor, emerges. Her name is Deborah. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in a town I can't pronounce because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out for the Lord for help. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them to Mount Tabor. Deborah said, I will leave Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishron River, and I'll give him into your hands. Verse 8, Barak said to her, I'll go with you. No, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera, the general, into the hands of a woman. Understand, in ancient Israel at this time, there were two types of leaders. There were tribal leaders, and there were religious leaders. The tribal leaders kind of governed the clans of people, and the religious leaders served God and offered priests uh, as sacrifices on behalf of the people. And all these tribal and religious leaders were men. And here you have a story in the book of Judges where a woman named Deborah emerges as a leader. For 20 years, her country has been enslaved. People are tired. They cry out for help. And it says in verse 4, Deborah was leading Israel at that time. They had their tribal leaders. They had their religious leaders. But they went around the tribal leaders and the religious leaders to Deborah. 
bypassing the leaders of their community, bypassing their religious leaders, they go to Deborah. Verse 5 says, she holds court under the palm of Deborah. Remember, this isn't like a judicial court. It's almost like this is her office on the 10th floor, CEO, looking out over everyone, the palm of Deborah. They go to her for leadership and for insight. Word on the street is, if you need to understand something, if you need to know something, if you need help making decisions about something, go to the palm of Deborah and you'll talk to her. And Deborah's hearing for 20 years people saying, we're so tired of our nation, the situation we're in, the suffering that we're under. We're crying out to God for help. And one day, Deborah summons this guy, Barak, into her office. And we have no idea who this guy, Barak, is. He's just an average Barak from Kadesh. It's just who he is. And he shows up and she says, listen, bub, I need you on behalf of God to go rally 10,000 troops, and I want you to go up against the oppressors who are holding us down. And I'll be a decoy. I'll go in front of their general and lead them right into these army, into their hands. And imagine this guy who's been enslaved for 20 years being told now in the office of Palm of Deborah that he's got to raise up a troop and go do this. Look at verse 8, what he says. He says, if you go with me, Deborah, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Sounds like a total pansy, right? Right? It's like some guy deflecting his responsibility. But it it makes sense, right? So if you're under oppression for 20 years and somebody summons you and says, you're the one to raise the army to go after these people, he's like, I don't think I can do this. And he says, if you go with me, I'll go. And Deborah says, fine, I'll go, but just so you know, because you're not trusting God's assignment for your life, you're not going to get credit for this victory. A woman is going to get credit for this victory. And in ancient Egypt, ancient Israel, and in our lives today, when a man doesn't get credit for what he does, that ain't kosher. And that's what's going on in this moment. Barak takes the assignment, rallies the troops. Deborah goes with them. God delivers the enemies into their hands. Yay, God. Yay, Israel. Yay, Deborah. As you keep reading the story, I'd encourage you to keep reading in Judges chapter 4. What you find is the general of the army, he gets away. He sneaks off, and he goes, finds himself someone who he thinks is going to be nice to him. He's all by himself. He goes into this woman's tent. Really fun story. He thinks he's safe. He takes a nap. The woman named J.L. takes a giant hammer and ten peg and drives it through his skull. Happy birthday. Like, it's incredible. He dies. And now the army is vindicated. Israel is vindicated. And here's what we read in Judges chapter 5, verse 31. Then the Lord, excuse me, then the land had peace for 40 years. Not because of Barak the military leader, not because of the religious leaders, not because of the official tribal leaders, but because of the courage of Deborah and J.L. They are the sheroes of the story. They have courage. And here's, here's how the Bible works as a mirror. This story begs the question, are you courageous like Deborah? Here's how it works as a mirror. You don't just ask the question, am I courageous? You look at God's word, 
He puts this example of a woman in front of us so that we would ask the question, am I courageous like Deborah? And I know you think, well, my life and her life are so different. How can I possibly relate to this? But let's slow down and look at the description of Deborah in verse four. Let's look at what the word of God says about her. It says, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of this dude, was leading Israel at the time. And so you start to pick this apart. Who is this courageous woman? Okay, she's a prophet. That means she's a mouthpiece, someone who speaks on behalf of God. She's a wife. We don't know who her husband is, what he's like, how he lives, how he leads, nothing. We know nothing. We just know she's a prophet and she's a wife. And it says she was a leader. Now, we know that that title leader is given to lots of people. That doesn't make you, because you have the title of leader, that doesn't make you courageous. So how did Deborah get the courage to lead her country in this way? Where did it come from? I mean, lots of people get courage from lots of things. But I think her courage comes from being a prophet. I think that first word tells us something about her. She's someone who hears God's voice. She's someone who knows God's voice. How, how does that happen? In her time, she wanted to hear God's voice. She would go to the Jewish place of worship, and they would read the five books of God's law. She might not even be literate. She would hear the word of God's law read, and she was hungry to hear it. So she would go over and over. They didn't have iPads and copies of their own Bible. They would have to go and hear it. And she would put herself in proximity to hear God's word, hear the truth. And she was someone who said, I'm going to apply God's truth to my life. I'm not just going to listen. I'm going to obey. And in that process of listening and obeying, God spoke to her. And he didn't just speak to her personally. He started to speak through her publicly. And she got to a point in her life and leadership where people came to her, not because of her formal title, not because of her gender, but because she heard the voice of God. She knew the voice of God. And she could apply the truth of God to people's lives. So when she calls Barack into her office, Barack goes because he knows her reputation as someone who hears the voice of God. And when she says, Barack, go get 10,000 truths, he goes, hey, I can't go unless you go with me because he knows if she's with him, the voice and the mind and the heart of God is with him as he goes out on this difficult assignment. He knew if Deborah was with him, he had someone who heard God's voice with him. And this is what we learn about courage I think courage comes from God. Lots of people have lots of reasons why they do courageous things, but the most courageous things that happen in our world that are outside of the ordinary, that seem supernatural, must have a supernatural source. She's a woman who's leading in a man's world where all the men aren't cutting it and she rolls up her sleeves and she does something. Because if God is for Deborah, who can be against her? If she knows and hears the voice and the truth of God, what can be against her? And the same is true for you and me. If you know the heart and mind of God, 
if you hear his voice, if you love and apply his word to your life, in any and every situation and circumstance you find yourself in, what's the worst that can happen? You're safe. You're good. Maybe, just a hypothesis, maybe the reason we're seeing less and less courage in our modern society is there are less and less people pursuing the heart and mind of God. Maybe the reason that we don't have courageous solutions, things that unite us together around a common good, our common humanity, is because there's people in the church of Jesus Christ, you and me, who aren't hungry for God's word, for what is true and right, and or who say they're hungry for God's word and know God's truth in their minds, but they don't apply it to their personal lives and they don't apply it to their public lives. Maybe the reason there's no courage in our society is because we're not listening, loving, following the truth of God. Because if courage comes from God, we often think if God's going to speak courage into our lives, how do we get it? Where does it come from? Do we wait for him to do skywriting? Do we wait for an email or a text message from God? That's what we sometimes think. Like, I don't really know the mind of God. I don't know the truth of God. I don't have God's courage because he hasn't spoken to me. And we sort of wait, hoping in a chaotic situation he's going to speak, and then I'll listen. Instead of going, no, courage grows when I draw near to God. It isn't waiting for God to draw near to me. He's everywhere present. He's with you now. It's saying, I will draw near to him. Jesus' brother James says it this way. He says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Courage is born if we come near to God. As we seek God's ways, his truth, his heart. You see, the Bible isn't some dusty old book. The Bible is a compass and an anchor a compass that gives us direction when we're lost and we're not sure where to go, and an anchor when everything in our culture is going up and down, everything in our homes going up and down, everything in our hearts going up and down. The truth of God's word is a compass and anchor that holds us fast. But if you're not drawing near to God, if you're not seeking his truth, and you think you're gonna be courageous, I want you to notice the order of things in the description of Deborah in verse 4 again, it says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadoth, was leading Israel at that time. If in our modern voice we were describing Deborah, we wouldn't say it this way. Here's what we would say. We'd say, first, she's a leader. Second, she's a wife. Third, she's a Christian. We've got the order all upside down. In God's word, the way we learn, the pattern we see is the relationship to God comes first, the relationship to family comes second, the relationship to the world third. So we see this pattern emerge throughout the Bible. Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Moses and Aaron. Anna, the prophet, the daughter of Phanuel. And if you want to answer this question, am I courageous? Here's what you look at. Where is your relationship to God compared to everyone and everything else? In what priority? See, courage builds when my loyalty to God is first and everything and everyone is second. 
So I apply it to my own life. When I put my trust in Jesus, when he removed my sins as far as the east is from the west, when he put his spirit inside me, my total identity changes now and forever. I am a son of the Most High God who will live with God now and forever. My total identity has been turned upside down. So no longer is my sexual identity number one. No longer is my social identity number one. No longer is my academic identity number one. My political identity number one. All those things are second and third and fourth. My family identity? No. So now my identity is described as this. Joe Hensler, son of almighty God. Number one. Number two, husband of Kareen, father of Wyatt Shepherd Cooper, leader in the community, pastor. All of those things are second. My first priority and loyalty is to God. That redefines every other identity and relationship. It shows where my loyalty is. I'm not saying I live that way, but that's God's design for me. And that's what I pray that he would do, that he would reorder my priorities, reorder my loyalties, so my number one loyalty is to him. And when that's true, I'm courageous. But where that's out of whack, I'm afraid. And I give in to feelings and family and friends and culture, and I do my own thing. If God is the source of courage, where is he in your list of priorities? At the bottom? I can confess to you that so many times that's what's true of me. And when he's at the bottom, I give in to my feelings and I go with the flow and I do what is the opposite of courage. I just exist. Here's the last thing I learned from Courageous Deborah. Courageous people don't avoid the mess, but they walk into the mess. Judges chapter 5, the next chapter, records a song that Deborah writes in response to commemorate God's deliverance. Judges chapter 5, verse 6, she says this. She says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, that's the woman who drove the spike through that dude's head. In the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back. All the people were hiding on winding paths. They would not fight. They're rolling over. They held back, she says, until I, Deborah, arose. Until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. In a culture where tribal leaders and religious leaders weren't doing their jobs, in a culture where women were not respected to lead, someone had to rise up, someone had to roll up her sleeves, someone who knew the heart and mind of God had to do something. And so Deborah jumps in. And we all know that when a mom rises up to protect and defend, get out of her way. And that's what Deborah describes herself as, like a mother who's looking at this situation and she rolls up her sleeves and gets into it and defends and charts a course. It's so easy for you and me to point fingers at everyone else. If they would only be courageous, we wouldn't be in this problem. When was the last time 
you looked in the mirror and asked the question, am I a courageous person? Do I know the heart and mind of God? Am I hungry for the heart and mind of God? So that rather than avoiding the mess, I walk into the mess and I try to do something. You see, it's easy for us to point fingers, much harder to look at ourselves. But if you're seeking after God, if you're attempting to know his voice, if you're asking him and say, God, I want my loyalty first and foremost to be to you. I fail at that all the time, but God, help me to be loyal to you. I want to hear from you, well done. I want to live before the audience of one. I want you to be happy and proud of me, God, by how I act and how I live. So when that's your heart and there's a mess, don't walk around it. Walk right into it. I mean, be courageous in your own personal lives. How many times in our own personal lives are there messes that we think they're just going to go away? My fear and my anxiety, my addiction, my anger problem, it's just going to go away? You're just going to wake up one day and it's going to be gone, dissolved, no problems? Or are you going to have to be courageous enough to see that you have a problem and say to the God of the universe, help me to be courageous in my own life, in my own family, in my own heart, to do what is right, come what may. Help me to ask for help to get a pastor or a counselor or a friend to help me because I have let this problem own me. And that's not who you designed me to be. This issue, this anxiety, this fear, this anger, this sexual addiction is owning me. And now I want you to change me so I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to do something. Is there a mess in your relationships or in your family? How many of us have drama in our immediate families or in our extended families and we think it's just going to go away? unforgiveness, bitterness, tension, drama. It's just going to disappear because it's happy Mother's Day. We're going to pretend like everything's okay as you trip over again and again the stuff you're cramming under the rug, hoping it's just going to go away. When are you going to trip over that thing that's under the rug and actually land on your face before God and say, help me to be courageous to deal with this issue? The drama in my family, the drama in my relationships isn't just going to go away. God wants to raise up courageous leaders. He wants to raise up you to, with humility, say this isn't the way God designed our family, our relationships, our friendships to be. I know God's heart, his mind. This isn't going to go away. So how do we work on this together? How do we get help? How do we seek change If there's a problem at work, a problem at school, a problem in your community, is it everyone else that's going to deal with it? Or are you going to do something about it? Is it possible the elephant in the room is for you to deal with? Because you're seeking the heart and mind of God. You want him to be your priority. You know what is right and true. So with gentleness and kindness, You're going to walk right into the mess at work, right into the mess of your friendships and your relationships at school and your community, and you're actually going to do something about the problems that our society faces? Or now let's just point our fingers at everybody else. They should fix it. They should fix it. Really? How about you? 
You see, the question, am I courageous, is answered simply this. I am courageous when I do courageous things. Apart from that, I'm a windbag. Faith without deeds is dead. There are all kinds of problems in our hearts, in our homes, in our communities, and in our nation. Who's supposed to do something about it? Me and you. And if we don't, we're going to wait? No. So be courageous in your own heart. Be courageous in your own home, in your own family. Be courageous in your community and in your school. Be courageous with love. Be courageous with truth. Be gentle. Don't think you're going to ride in and save the day in every situation, but with grace and truth, as you listen to the heart and mind of God, do something. You can change things. If God is on your side, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, honestly, what's the worst that can happen? But we're so afraid of standing out. We're so afraid of being different that we might cut up against the culture But if you're listening to God, if you're reading his word, if you're following his spirit, if you're obeying, if you're doing it with gentleness and love, with grace and with truth, surface the problem, walk into the mess, be active with your faith, and watch what God does in our world because of Deborah's like you and me. Let's pray. God, thanks for showing us what is true in your word. Thank you for giving us a model, a mirror to look at this woman who existed thousands of years ago, who didn't kick the can down the road, didn't assume because of her gender she couldn't do something, didn't think someone else should fix it, but she called, invited, spoke on your behalf and had faith. And because of that, she changed the course of many people's lives. Show us in small ways and in big ways, we too can be courageous. Give us a hunger for what is true and right. Help us to open our Bibles, not just on Sundays, to approach your word. It's living and active. Cut and change and grow us into men and women who with love and kindness, with grace, and truth make a difference in our society and in our world. And forgive the church of Jesus Christ, starting with me, for pointing our finger at everyone else to change instead of leading the change through our common humanity, through a love for justice and mercy, for innovation and anchoring to timeless truths. May we be salt and light in this world. For your name's sake, amen.